Hey guys, Justin White here, and you're about to listen to episode two of Power Forward. Our guest is Andrea Hall, SVP of Operations. Andrea has been with the company since 2013, and she has some amazing insights and perspective that will really get you fired up to tackle your day. We'll discuss the importance of being proactive as a leader and the keys to motivating a team. Andrea also talks about how the experiences she had growing up gave her a passion for people. Plus, Andrea reveals her biggest flaw and how it actually helps her. Get ready to get inspired with Andrea Hall, coming up, on Power Forward. The primary purpose of this podcast series is to inform, entertain, and educate. The information, opinions, and recommendations presented in this podcast series do not constitute legal or other professional advice, opinions, or endorsements of any kind. This is Power Forward. All right, welcome back to Power Forward. Justin White alongside Mateen Cleves. Teen, I am fired up today. I am ready to go. And it's not just because I had a shot of espresso and a cup of coffee this morning. I don't usually do that, but today I went with the double header. I think I, 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 I kind of know why I mean, you're I, I had to get myself ready, prepared, and, and fired up, ready to go because of our guest today. Oh, yeah. She is a senior vice president of operations. Heavy hitter. Andrea Hall. Andrea, welcome to Power Forward. Thank you so much, Justin. I'm pumped up to be here with you two lovely fellows. <laughs> are, are you a coffee drinker? Do you get yourself all ca- caffeinated in the morning, ready to go? I do. Um, today, I actually opted for iced green tea, um, so I'll kind of rotate on and off, but generally, I am an espresso girl in the morning. Limit it to one. That does it for me. Anything after that, I'm up all night. And, and you're an early riser, correct? I am. I'm usually up around 5, 5.30 every morning. Is, is that just something that, that works for you in terms of how you like to start your day getting up that early to prepare yourself for what lies ahead? Yeah, I um, I am an early to bed, actually, so I am not a night owl by any means. So I'm in bed no later than 10 p.m. every night, um, earlier if I can. Um, and then every morning, yeah, I like to get up. I'm pumped up, get ready, get the day started. Um, usually try to fit a workout in before I head into the office, get the coffee and hit the ground running. A workout? Oh, oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> you got to get the juices flowing, Mateen. All right. Yeah, we, we've talked about this before, actually, the importance of kind of getting up and, and working out or meditating or whatever it is you do to kind of get yourself mentally set for the day ahead. For, for you, is that part of the, the reasoning behind a, a workout or whatever it is you like to do when you get up? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I've always been the type of person when I wake up, when my alarm clock goes off, I can't sit around and watch the news or, you know, catch up on uh, anything going on in the world. Like, I have to get up, get in the shower, <laughs> go to the workout, get something moving. I need to get my body moving right away. Um, and it just sets the tone for my day, I feel like. I feel like if I were to sit around and make breakfast and watch the news, I'd be stumbling in the office later, then feel like I got a late start on the day. So I like to just get, get up and get moving. You know, that's, I like that. Because you know, some people think like if you work out before work, then you'll be tired all day. Yeah. So, but that's not it for you, right? I used to think that actually. So uh-huh. I was a couple years ago, I was not a morning workout person. I would always do it in the evening after work. And uh, another leader that I work with uh, actually said, you got to try it. It will. It's going to be hard the first couple days. You have to create the habit. 21 days builds a habit, oh, but yeah. you have to try it. And you will be more energized throughout the day. Your brain will be sharper. And I'm like, 
what are you talking about? I'm going to be so, I'm going to need more espresso than I already have. But I tried it a few times and I, I, I did do the start and stop approach a few times and then I got going and it became a habit and I definitely feel more energized. I feel more awake after. And then you come in and you already feel so accomplished when you walk in these doors because you've already been so productive that day. I like that. And there is something to be said for that feeling like you've already accomplished something before you start your work day. And Andrea, I have a feeling that Mateen is actually going to wake up at four o'clock tomorrow and he's going to go straight know. to the gym after what he just heard from you. <laughs> we'll see. Um, right. you, you are a, a veteran of, of the mortgage industry. It's it's the only uh, profession you've ever had, right? Yeah. Uh, I don't consider myself a veteran, actually. That's funny that oh. you say that. Um, but yeah, I, I, I feel like I grew up in the mortgage industry, to be honest. So I started when I was 20 years old, still going to college. Wow. Um, I was working at a bank before jumping into the mortgage industry, and I was just looking for a new challenge. And I didn't know anything about the mortgage industry. All I would do was try to cross-sell a mortgage to a client at the bank I worked at. And I was just looking for a new challenge. And I stumbled into an entry-level role um, at a young age and gave it a go. And I I fell in love with the industry from the beginning and have never stopped. And, um, you know, almost 14 years later, um, here I am. And I think it's one of the industries that you love or it's not for you. It's one of the two. I don't think there's really an in-between. And I fell in love with it immediately. Um, And the amount that I have learned um, about the housing industry and about leadership and everything in between has been so tremendous. It's been one of the best experiences of my life. What would you say it is about your personality that made it a thing that you really gravitated to, this this industry being in mortgages? Um, so one thing uh, that I say a lot is I love change. A lot of people, human nature, people don't like change. It's, it's, it's human nature. A lot of my family and friends don't like change. Um, I love it. I crave it. I don't like things staying the same. I was the person that would rearrange my bedroom once a month when I was a kid <laughs> because I wanted a different layout and a different view, and it was always so refreshing to me. Um, and my parents would think I was crazy. But the mortgage industry changes constantly. There are new rules and regulations, new processes, new technology. Um, new ways on approaching leadership and um, getting more out of yourself and your team and doing more for your clients and everything. Um, I loved that there was a constant evolution happening and that you had to be on your game to keep up and you were always learning something new. There's never a dull moment. And and let me take you back to something you said that I thought was interesting. Uh, You came in on an entry level role. And you just grind it and you grind it. it, it, it uh, so what was your mindset when you first came in on that entry level? Did, uh, did you think I'm going to be AVP or I'm going to be this? Or when you first came in, what was that process? So it's interesting. I've never been the person that had a defined path in my mind. Um, and I tell leaders this sometimes. It's okay that you don't have a defined path of I want to do this and then next year I want to be this. And then by this date I want to be this title. I don't think you should ever be focused on titles and being driven by title. I think you need to live in the moment. And Mm. I subconsciously, that's just me thinking uh, retrospectively. But at the time, I was just so focused on the moment and the experience that I never thought that far ahead. I was just taking everything in that I was immersed in at the time. And then when I was ready for something new, I was like, okay, I'm kind of bored. I need something new. Give me a new challenge. And then the next challenge and the next door opened. Um, And I was very fortunate that those doors opened. But I was always just very focused on the here and now and the present. And I think when you do that and you can excel in whatever the here and now is, opportunities then present themselves instead of being so focused on having to hit whatever milestones are in your mind doesn't mean you shouldn't have goals um but 
take it as it comes and let, let the opportunities present themselves and, and excel in what you're doing at the moment. Well, you, you mentioned the word drive, Andrea. And, you know, one of the things that we like to say a lot around here is, you know, what is your why? What is your reason? And everybody, you know, has their own purpose depending on their own situation. For you, what drives you? What is the thing that really motivates you in your life? It's a good question, Justin. Um, That's what I'm here for. <laughs> I don't think a lot of people have ever asked me that before. Um, for me, I've always been a self-starter. So I was never, um, you know, not that my parents didn't push me and motivate me, but they, it wasn't like, you know, they were pushing me, telling me, what are you going to do next? What are you going to do next? They were just my cheerleaders on the sidelines saying, you're awesome. Keep doing what you want to do. And I always wanted to prove to myself and scare myself a little bit. Um, that I could do something. So if something, uh, if I had a challenge in front of me that made me a little uneasy or, you know, it would get me out of my comfort zone a little bit for myself, I wanted to prove to myself that I could do it. So I would force myself to get comfortable with change, force myself to get out of my comfort zone and say, what have I got to lose? So I'm just going to keep pushing forward. I'm going to try it. Um, and very quickly I got very comfortable with being uncomfortable. Um, and I think that that just kind of drove me forward. I didn't have like one driving force. Um, my mom and dad, uh, always worked very hard and were always dedicated to whatever their craft was. And I think I kind of observed that growing up. But for the most part, it was like wanting to prove to myself um, that you could do something that maybe scared you a little bit. Did you play sports growing up? I didn't, actually. She sounds like well, an athlete, some right? Yeah, some coach dropped the ball on that <laughs> one. I tell you something, because if you have that mentality, no. come on, that's a championship mentality. That there. is something that um, a lot of people um, give me a little bit of a business about. I was never an athlete growing up. I was a worker. I wanted to work. I love it. I never played sports. Um, I, I was in some sports when I was younger, but especially as I went through high school, I wanted to work. I didn't really have an interest in playing sports. Um, my athleticism... I think kicked in after with my workout routine and health regimen, but I wanted to work all the time. I was like so interested at a young age in working. So I started working when I was 14 um, in a restaurant. And then, you know, I managed the school store in high school. Like I just wanted to work and contribute. And I don't, that was my mindset from the beginning. Well, and it's a mindset that's really helped you, Andrea, you know, getting to a leadership position at a, at a young age, you said you don't consider yourself a veteran. Um, and I can understand why. Um, when you think about, Choosing your own path, you know, you, you have a lot of different, I don't want to call them catchphrases, but mottos, and you're really a person who likes to spread inspirational messages here, whether it's through emails or whether it's through our company's intra, intranet site. Um, you're a person who likes to share inspiration and motivation. Why, why is that? How did that first start for you? Um, I think it was kind of a natural... Um Something that I picked up, I, I had some leaders at different points in my career that would give little pieces of motivation here and there. And one thing that I um, think that we take for granted is of all of your experiences uh, in whatever industry you're in, all of the leaders you work with, all the teams that you're on, even if you don't have a great leader or maybe you have the best in the world or best coach or maybe, you know, not a great coach, whatever it is, you can learn something from every single one of those people. Um, what not to do, what not to make people feel like, what to do, what made that team respond and, and motivated. You can pick up things that you take pieces of those behaviors and those observations and you kind of make them your own and you kind of plant them in the bank and, and you learn about behavior and human interaction and what um, makes a team motivated and what people respond to. Um, and for me, uh, a couple years ago when we did all team meetings um, with our operations team, I would always try to end the meeting with a quote 
to leave the team with a thought. And that was kind of something that just kind of evolved into then when we stopped having the larger team meetings because it got so big with hundreds of people we couldn't fit in the auditorium anymore. I still wanted to spread that message. So that's where it goes to the, you know, email or internet. But instead of um, people need, I think, information in small doses, nobody, um, I don't think anymore can really have the appetite to digest a novel of information. Um, and we move so fast. So I would try to think of a, a quote of, you know, five to 10 words that would leave an impact um, and a profound thought with somebody that they could kind of take it in their, their own way and mold it into their own. So these quotes came up in these mantras um, and I kept them over time. And it's just something that would either be happening to me at the time that I was thinking about, that I was feeling, that I was experiencing, or that I was observing that our team was going through that would help give some perspective and kind of um, bring everybody together. So that it kind of then evolved into, instead of sharing them at, a, at the end of a team meeting in a monthly mantra, it turned into quick messages. But I try to keep them as short quotes that kind of resonate with you that you can then use moving forward okay. in different and ways. So and you're a motivator, okay? So something inside of me is telling me that you care about people. You like to see people prosper and, and move on. Is that is that one of your motive? Is that something that motivates you every day that you come into Definitely. work? Definitely. Uh, I always say my two favorite things and my two passions and I think my two strengths are people and processes. So in our world, in the operations world at, at UWM, it works perfectly because we have a large team. It's very operational, process-driven, and people-driven, but we don't do anything without people. Um, um, so inspiring people and seeing them grow and watching everybody around me, like that pumps me up every day and that motivates me. And that's what it's all about. Because if, if the team isn't growing and the team isn't developing, it doesn't matter. One individual doesn't matter. It's about everybody else around you. You, you mentioned your, your mantras, Andrea, and um, another one of them that I really like is you are entirely up to you. You know, that, that's one that uh, I've heard you say before. And, and essentially, I think it means that we're all in control of our own destiny, our own path. Elaborate on that a bit. So I think growing up, um, friends, family, everything in between, people that I would work with, go to school with, I would hear a lot of, and I think it still happens, a lot of, well, I didn't have the greatest childhood. I didn't have the greatest education. I didn't have the greatest friends in my circle. Um, I was passed up for a promotion. Um, I wasn't looked at because... Um, my leader didn't like me or whatever the excuse. It was just excuses. And I, I hate excuses. So <laughs> very quickly, I'm like, no, this is so wrong. And kind of it fits with our thumb pointer mentality, one of our pillars. But you are the only person that is in control of your destiny and your path and your mindset more than anything. So it kind of takes the finger pointing out of it. And there are so many success stories around the world of all these people that we know of and that we talk about that are famous and highly successful that they made their own success and they decided to control their own destiny. So I think we need to talk about it more that you can do whatever you set your mind to. It doesn't matter what obstacles you have in front of you. It doesn't matter your past, your upbringing, anything. Your work ethic, your attitude, your drive is completely determined by you only. Um, and it, it kind of forces people to take the excuses out of it that your outside influences definitely have a, some influence, but how you respond to those are completely up to you. Like, man, that, I love it. <laughs> I mean, and the way you break it down now, um, how do you motivate that, okay, new team member um, that's 
seeming to lose confidence or coming up with these excuses? You know, how do you motivate uh, some of your team members when that situation comes about? Yeah, I think you have to um, first, you have to know them. You have to get to know them. Mm -hmm. What makes them tick? Why are they here? What are their obstacles? What's going on in their mind? How are they feeling? So I just ask a lot of open-ended questions to try to get a feel for what's going on in their head. What are they thinking about themselves? What are they thinking about their performance? What do they think their obstacles are? And as you kind of have that conversation, you kind of break down the barrier a little bit and and sometimes some revelations happen through that process and through that conversation. Um, but I think painting the picture of none of this is, you know, unachievable. None of this, none of these challenges are things that we can't overcome. We just got to put some pen to paper and put a plan together and, and you can get through it. But as long as they know that you have their back and that you believe in them, sometimes that's all somebody needs to pull them out of a rut, you know? You you mentioned getting to know your team members, Andrea, and kind of like in a, in a sports type analogy, Mateen, you know, you would know about this, a coach who kind of coaches his players differently, right? You don't just coach everybody the same way. Andrea, as a leader, do you coach all of your players, so to speak, differently, you know, getting to know them and like you said, what makes each of them tick? Yeah, definitely. Um, You learn very quickly um, as a leader and as a new leader, I made this mistake very early on thinking that I could just stand in a huddle, send an email (laughs) and everybody was going to, you know, understand what I meant and everyone, you know, would have the game plan and they'd run it to a T. And you very quickly learn different people. People learn different ways. People respond differently. Um, And sometimes you can message in a huddle for sure, something kind of global, but then you may have to have some one-on-one conversations and make sure that people really understand it. Sometimes you have to also know your team to read them, read their responses, read their faces, read their reaction when you are delivering a message. Sometimes you do, you can sense that somebody's a little uneasy. You got to pull them aside. You got to talk to them. So yeah, you definitely, um, and the more you learn your people, um, the more you learn that whatever the gravity of the situation is, whatever that message is, whatever the play is, sometimes you know going into it, I need to talk to this person first. I need to pull them aside so they're not caught off in, you know, when we have the huddle or whatever it may be. But definitely it's all about knowing your people and being proactive and, and reading them ahead of time. Now, Andrea, I want to I want to work for her. I, I don't wa- know. You're I just wa- saying that because I'm, <laughs> no, yeah. No, I want to work for Andrea. I got to talk. Get mad on the phone right now. I want to work with Andrea. I, I can see you. You're bouncing around in your seat. You can barely contain oh, your excitement. It's all the espresso, Andrea, Justin. You got me excited. Um, well, let me ask you this because I, I watch you. I, I watch how you maneuver through here. You're in the weeds. You are in the weeds with your team. How do you um, how do you get in the weeds but not come across as micromanaging your team members? Yeah, I think I think your team appreciates and loves when you're in the weeds with them. Okay. But your approach and your delivery, I think, is key to whether they feel micromanaged or not. So they have to always feel that you have a belief and a trust in them. Hey, you guys run this show. This is you know I'm here to support you, but that you also know it enough and you're in the weeds enough to be able to troubleshoot with them and recognize when something's broken or help them if they're stuck. But I think it's all about delivery and approach. Um, Email is not a good way to kind of handle those situations because there's no context and tone in email, right? So it can very easily be misinterpreted. But I think it's all about your delivery. And as long as you have that leadership capital built up with your team and then they know who you really are as a leader and uh, you have built that trust with them, they know that you know you've got it. But they also know you're there if you need them. Is, is that kind of what goes into finding a balance between challenging people but also being supportive at the same time? I mean, what, what's the key to that in your mind when it comes to being a leader? Yeah, I, I think um, some of my best leaders that I've ever had are the ones that would challenge me to where I'd go home and I'd be like, this 
this guy, oh, he's driving me crazy, he made me mad today. Like, what's he doing? Mess, you know, giving me a bunch of business. Right. But it fires you up and it gets you thinking and it pulls that passion out of you. So obviously you don't want to go around, go around beating people up, making them feel bad. It's all about the approach. But those leaders that have that balance in that relationship where you motivate, but then I'm also going to challenge you. I know you're better than this. I know you're more capable. I want to see more out of you making them rise to the occasion, that's where you pull the greatness out of people. But it definitely takes building up that relationship with them to be able to have that balance and that approach between motivate and challenge them. And I, and I had that in college. My college coach, Tom Mizzo, I mean, he would motivate me and he and he challenged me every day. And I, I could never understand why um, if somebody else missed a shot, it was my fault. Yeah. And he would say, well, you should have you shouldn't have passed the ball to that guy because you should have known he couldn't make that shot. Yeah. So uh, challenging them, I, I think, is very important. And I want to ask you this. Have you ever had um, one of those situations where someone might have gotten an award or pulled you to the side or sent you an email and said, thank you. Thank you for the times that you challenged me and you pushed me and I really didn't want to hear it at yeah. the time. So many times, um, even people um, that maybe you've had a series of very unhealthy or unhappy, unfortunate conversations with mm -hmm. deep coaching conversations, and they may not want to look at you or talk to you for a month because they're so angry with you because you're coming down so hard on them. But then two months later, a year later, whatever it is, they're like, thank you for doing that. I didn't realize that at the time I was mad at you at the time, but because you did that, you made me change a behavior. You made me look at myself. And eventually I do think that they will thank you for it um, because you're, you're doing it because you care about them. So I always think about the leaders that never coached, never invest in their people, don't get to know them, don't give them feedback of good, bad, ugly, whatever it is, that, that to me sends a message that your leader isn't invested in you. They don't care about you. They're not giving you positive reinforcement, let alone are they trying to develop and coach you. The best leaders that care about you the most and that are the most invested in you are the ones that are going to be hard on you and they're going to give you feedback and they're going to be criti crit critical of you because they know you're capable and they want to pull that out of you. Uh, and just keeping in mind, you know, from a leadership perspective, they may not be the most receptive at the time, but you're doing it because you care about them and because it's for their own good. You're not doing it to, you know, at um, their detriment. Almost like a parent. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, exactly. Like yeah. Very much. Yeah, and it seems like, Andrea, you know, you talked about your parents being supportive of you as you were growing up and the passion that you have, you know, not just for your job, but for life. I mean, it seems like it's just something that's instilled within you. But when it comes to people around you, whether it's people that report to you or other people that you um, encounter that maybe don't have that same passion, don't have that same fire, how do you kind of approach a situation like that? Because I don't know that it's something you can just tell somebody to do, but maybe you can relay a message that will give them a thought that could inspire them to think differently. So maybe they end up on a similar type of a path. Yeah, I, um, I think that what you're passionate about is what you pour your soul into and what you pour your heart into. And for sure, I'm sure there are stories that uh, of people that have professions or a craft or a sport that maybe they don't love and they're not super passionate about, but they can experience some success. But I do firmly believe that if you're not passionate about whatever your craft is, you are not going to experience the most success. You're not going to be the, the happiest. Um, and that people read through that. So if you're not passionate about the message you're delivering, you're not passionate about whatever it is that you're doing, people will read through that and they will very much sense whether it's genuine or not. Um, and for me, I think it's tapping into 
where that lack of passion is coming from. So having conversations and talking to them and finding out what it is that motivates them, what pumps you up, what 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 frustrates you, but also on, on the flip side, like what motivates you and gets you going every day? And if it's not this, what is it? So sometimes, you know, people will step into a role, a sport, a job and think like this is going to be it for me. And maybe it's not. Not everything is for everybody. So I think recognizing that that's okay and having a leader or, you know, a peer that's supportive of that and having that conversation with you and finding out what it is that you're the best at. So um, one of our pillars are people are our greatest asset. Um, The right people in the right seat. I think are your greatest asset. So leveraging and knowing your talent and your people that are on your team and what they are best at and where they can contribute the most is where they're going to be happiest. So I think tapping into whatever that passion is and not being afraid of maneuvering people to where they will be the, the biggest contributor and be the most fulfilled is where you really win on both sides. And, you know, I think back to my senior year of college, you know, I would look at certain guys that come in, we would recruit different players, they come in and it was it'd be some people that come in. I'm say, wow, it's something in that guy. I need to put my arm around him. Almost kind of like my mini me. I like it's something. It, I love the drive in that kid. Has there been anyone? You don't have to name names, but has there been anyone in your experience that have come through these doors and you say, wow, I need to get my arm around them and direct them in the right direction? For sure. Uh, and the best part is those people don't need a lot of direction, right? Mm -hmm. Because they have that special something already that is making you gravitate toward them. But absolutely, there are so many people that we are fortunate enough to come into, uh, to experience and work with that you're like, I need to work with that person. I need to learn from that person. And even if they're brand new, you can learn from them too. Mm -hmm. And their drive and their passion will motivate you. And I don't know, I think that that makes for an unstoppable team. But those people, I think, don't need a lot of heavy guidance. Mm -hmm. Um, But you can definitely help propel them forward but you also definitely get something out of working with them and i like you said i like the fact that you said they don't need heavy guidance i think that great coaches understand when to coach up or when to sit back and let players dictate and and, and run the show your your knowledge andrea of of people and you 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 said that your job entails people and process um, but your knowledge of how to interact with people how to coach people just how to have a, a conversation with somebody and get to know them where would you say that comes from I think I'm a big observer. Uh, I'm a people watcher when I'm at sports games. I'm a people watcher when I'm on an airplane. Um, I am a human behavior, um, very highly curious person. So um, not in a creepy way. I'm not going to like follow you guys around the office and, you know, watch you all the time. But um, definitely observation from a very young age. So um, my parents um, were foster parents for 20 years growing up. So I experienced all walks of life, all, I was exposed to so much in the world at such a young age. And I think it made me grow up fast, but it also made me very aware and empathetic of people. And I was so curious about people at such a young age and what made them tick and what motivates them. Um, So I think that just kind of carried me through. Um, And having a passion for people and wanting to get to know them is, and what makes them tick and want to make them better is not something that's an overnight process. It's something that you truly have to be passionate about. And it is definitely an art and you kind of learn as you go. And I've definitely stumbled along the way. And uh, when I was a brand new leader, thought I had it all figured out and I was so, I lacked confidence and I made a lot of mistakes. Um, But I think as long as you're okay with that and you learn, you learn a lot about yourself and from those around you um, and you kind of form it into your own, if that makes sense. Well, and and you mentioned, Andrea, your parents, 
were foster parents, and correct me if I'm wrong, you're one of eight kids in your family, but you're the only one that your parents had together. Yes. So my mom and dad were foster parents um, from the time I was three years old. Um, My dad was a police officer at the time, since retired. Um, So... Big family, lots going on, um, but my, my I'm the only biological child between my mom and dad, yes. Yeah, so I have three older sisters who are my uh, half-sisters, and then my four younger brothers and sisters are all adopted, actually. Yeah. Wow. So never a dull moment. I think that's why I thrive in a chaotic environment, too. I have never been the person that can handle quiet and no action going on. Like, I'll tell the team sometimes, like, put some music on. We got to get some energy going. I am so used to so much action going on around me all the time that, like, when I moved out and lived on my own or, you know, now with my husband, it's so quiet. I'm like, I don't know what to do with myself. I'm so used to action around me all the time and chaos. But I think it's good. I think it prepared me well. Yeah, that's why you thrive in the operations department of a mortgage and lender. And fast-paced environment, yeah. Absolutely. Um, stepping outside your comfort zone, you mentioned this earlier, being comfortable, being uncomfortable. What what does that mean to you? Uh, I think it goes back to not being afraid of change. And a lot of people, it's, again, human nature, you want to stay where you're comfortable. And um, I... I am a victim of that myself. So at one point in my career, um, I was kind of at a crossroads of like, you know what? I think I'm ready for a new challenge and I want to do something different and learn something new. But I'm really cozy where I'm at and I'm do I'm really good at what I do. And it was like this dilemma for me of, but if I'm really good at it, even though I'm comfortable, is that okay? Because I'm doing I'm I'm really good at it. And isn't that what we all care about? Being really good at what you do. But at the same time, I wanted something, I knew I was craving a challenge and I knew I was craving a change and something different. So I think it's um, not being afraid to push yourself and the, un- the, the places out of your comfort zone, I think those experiences when you're the most uncomfortable, the most uneasy, the most on edge and you're like, I don't like this, I don't know what I'm doing, it's uncharted territory. I bet if you asked a lot of people, they would say that those were the experiences that they grew the most from. And that they probably learn the most from. And let me ask you this this question here about because you're in leadership, so that means you, you probably speak publicly. Um, there are people that's terrified <laughs> of speaking publicly. What advice would you have for some of the people that's listening in that's that's afraid to speak out publicly? I think you just have to jump into the fire. So <laughs> I was terrified, and it took me a very long time to get comfortable with it. I still get butterflies before I go really? up to this day. Absolutely. Can't tell. Um, I think it I think when you keep that kind of humility about you that you feel like you have to be on your game and you don't want to mess up and you go over your talking points in your head, I think you should be a little nervous before you go up. You should be confident for sure and comfortable, mm-hmm. but I do think you should have a little bit of butterflies in your stomach. Um, but a leader uh, many years ago that I had just literally threw me into the fire and was like, you don't have a choice. Once a week we're having a team meeting and you're getting up there and you're presenting. And I didn't have a choice. I had to get very comfortable very quickly with being uncomfortable. And every time I was terrified and I'm sure I fumbled and made so many mistakes and looked like an idiot a few times, but I got very comfortable with it very quickly. And then I think because of that, because I was forced out of my comfort zone, I was like, okay, I can do this. Okay, put me up there again. That's fine. And you just kind of get so a team member, uh, one of the leaders on my team actually recently went through this and she's like, I don't like public speaking. I get terrified when I get up there. I sweat, I freak out. And I'm like, you got to do it. So every team meeting that we have now in operations, she goes up and she talks about it. She talks about something that's relevant to whatever the meeting is about. And it very quickly made her comfortable with it. I'm sure she still gets butterflies, but I just think jump into the fire feet first. I love it because that that happened to me in TV. 
I went to Fox Sports Detroit to, to work with the Pistons, and they said, come in for a practice run. I'm like, oh, I really don't want to do TV. they like, well, just come in. I come in for a practice run. The next day, I was on live TV. And I laugh about it now because I screwed up big time. No, you were probably a pro <laughs> yeah, right nobody, from the beginning. Nobody at home probably uh, noticed. They, Not yeah, at all. I screwed up big time. But like you said, I would have never thought I could do it. But I just jumped right into the fire and then, you know, I you know, eventually got better and better at it. Do you think that prepared you though? Do you think you should have done the rehearsal or do you think it's good that you jumped into the fire? I'm glad I jumped in the fire yeah. because I just I just went for it and I didn't think about it and I screwed up and now you know I got I continued to practice it and got better and better. But Hey, if I, I don't even know if I ever would have done it. Yeah, you know? you'd probably overthink it, I think. So, yeah. like, sometimes when you rehearse so much, you start to overthink it and get in yeah. your own head, and you get in your own way a little bit. So sometimes it's better just yeah. to... It worked out. Just wing it. <laughs> but, and you know what? The butterflies and getting nervous still, you know what that means? It means you care. Exactly. It would almost be something wrong if you didn't get a little bit nervous, right? Yeah. I think so. I think... Um, you should kind of along the lines of always kind of being a student of your craft, like always knowing that you're never perfect and you are always growing and you're always going to learn and you're human. You're going to stumble. You're going to mess up sometimes. So being a little nervous and caring so much um, and knowing that you for sure are going to make mistakes, but you learn from it. And let me ask you this question here. You talk about, uh, I mean, you want to you, you be great. I mean, I, everything about you says, I want to be great. Um, how do you not beat yourself up, you know, if some things don't go the oh, way I you want Oh, I do all the time. Do you beat oh, yourself absolutely. up? I am my own worst critic. Absolutely. I am in my own head. It's one of my greatest flaws <laughs> that I'm constantly working on. I am... I think it happens to, to leaders because as a leader, you're always focused on the next thing you need to fix, the next thing we need to make better, the next thing that needs to be improved. And you don't focus enough on the wins and the things that are going well. Because mm -hmm. in your head, you're like, yeah, these things should be going well, right? It's good. So you don't worry about them when they're going well. And you're always focused naturally on the fires, the things that need to be better or improved or fixed. So for me... I have always focused on, I, I don't want to say the negative, but the things that need my attention. So especially in myself, the things that I'm like, I could have handled that better. I should have done that better. I should have responded better. I should have said this better when I was presenting. Um, I should have handled this situation better, whatever it is. I am always in my own head and always replaying the real. Um, and I need to do, I need to find a better balance of being constructive, not so hard on myself, um, recognizing the wins, because I think we can all do that a little better oh, yeah. and do that uh -huh. a little more. But at the same time, I do think it keeps me on my toes as well, because I think it keeps me hyper aware. And I think self-awareness is a is a strong trait that leaders should have um, that I think you should always try to fine tune. So I think it keeps me very self-aware, but I can I could definitely find some better balance because I'm, I'm definitely in my own head and a self-critic. All right. Probably well, I'm too much. Well, I'm going to coach you up. I like, you, I'm, you, I'm open to enjoy, it. Enjoy the win sometime. I know. Enjoy. It's a good message. Well, there you go. We, we know, Andrea, that you, you like to learn um, and you're constantly craving something new. Uh, even as a leader, I know that you believe that a good leader never stops learning. You never really stop becoming the student. Um, where does that come from, you know, for you, that, that desire to always learn something new? I think um, every situation um, that I've ever been in, any meeting, any coaching conversation, a training, I'll admit sometimes I go into trainings uh, or meetings and I'm like, what am I going to get out of this, right? I already know this or we already know how we're going to handle this or 
what am I going to this training for? I already know everything about this. I always walk away with a couple takeaways. I always, I walk away with a new perspective or it reinforces like, I got to do more of that. I thought I was good at that, but I got to do more of that, whatever it may be. So I kind of started to observe that even though I had that attitude going into a couple of things that I'd always come out with a different perspective. And then I'm like, why don't people think this all the time? I'm sure I'm not the only one that goes into meetings or trainings or coaching conversations thinking, I got it all figured out. I know the answer to everything. This is fine. This is a waste of my time. I'm going to handle this flawlessly. And you don't. You're a leader, um, but it doesn't mean you don't make mistakes. It doesn't mean that you're not going to stumble. It doesn't mean that you're not going to learn from whatever that situation brought you with a new perspective. So um, I think just being aware of that. um, And then I, I thought it was important to share that with our team that, you know, just because you're a leader, you're not, you haven't reached the top of the mountain. You're not done yet the climbing never stops. You're going to find a new obstacle. Um, and as long as you're open to that and don't have a mindset of, I have everything figured out and I have every answer, I think you you will only continue to grow. I think when you have the mindset of, I'm done, I've reached the top, then you stop growing. And as a leader, do you encourage your team members like to bring you different ideas? Because some leaders, yeah, they're still learning, but some of them don't listen. And to me, it's, you know, do you encourage your leaders, I mean, your team members to come talk to you yeah, about different ideas? Yeah, it's a big ideas? difference. You can say all the time, um, my door is open, come talk to me. But if people don't feel like you're receptive or that you don't listen and they you shut them down, they're going to stop coming really quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel so strongly about it. I talk to our new hires on day one and I tell them, guys, you are a fresh set of eyes coming into this. So whether you have mortgage industry experience or not, you're a fresh set of eyes. Challenge what we do. What got us to where we are today is not going to take us to where we are tomorrow. So the technology we have, the processes, the way we interact with our clients, the way we interact with other teams within our own company, rip it all apart and challenge it. Be in a productive way. Don't complain about it. Bring a solution forward. But I am all for being your own disruptor and being proactive and finding ways to constantly improve and innovate and change the way that you do things to take yourself or your team to the next level. I think that's important. And the best ideas come from your team most of the time. And you mentioned, you know, getting that feedback from your team members and your door being open, but it's another thing to have them actually walk into your office and tell you what they think. How do you strike a balance between being approachable, but also having that that confidence as a leader and, and being resolute in your decisions? I think um, you listen, right? And you have to listen to their perspective. Why do you feel that way? Walk me through it. Okay, let, let's sit at your desk. Walk me through an example of what you're going through when you see this, why it's a struggle, whatever it may be, whatever it is they're challenging. But then... If you know, well, there's a reason we do it this way, you have to be able to explain the why. So that kind of goes back to being in the weeds enough and knowing not only being approachable and listening, but if if there is a good why behind what we do, I'm also a big believer on explaining the why because if you can explain the why, it it helps everybody understand so much better. And then usually that team member or that leader will walk away, oh, I get it now. Okay, I didn't understand this. This is why it drove me crazy. But now that you explain the why, it makes more sense. So I think being able to explain the why instead of just, that's my answer, that's what we're doing. Like, that's the worst possible way to handle that. But explaining and helping them understand makes a difference. You know, Mateen, Andrea mentioned that she talks to all of our new hires here. And, you know, you've heard the expression, stay in your lane. Mm -hmm. Well, that's the opposite of what they get from Andrea because this is what you do, right? You encourage them, like you said, to challenge the why, to see what they can help, how they can make things better here, to to not stay in their lane. I mean, what what are some of the reactions you've gotten from people when when you basically tell them to, to question the, the way that we do things? Yeah, it's probably a little controversial. I don't know if there's a lot of leaders that say, don't stay in your that? lane. Yeah, exactly. Most people are like, stay in your lane, you know, 
talk to other people. And I'm like, no, this whole place is your lane. That's right. what I, especially leaders. Um, so it's funny. I, I, when I first started saying that, I'm like, I wonder if I'm ruffling a few feathers saying that, but I have always acted that way um, and believed that and not even consciously. I think I just realized it over time that I've always been the person that whatever lane I'm in is my lane for sure. But it doesn't mean that I don't bring up things that I'm passionate about or observe in other areas, right? Because I think um, the reason why I say it is we are, this is our company. This is not any single person's company. This operations is not my team. It's our team. It's our company. And when we all care and we all observe and we all have that kind of relationship and environment where we are continuing to make it better and improve and that that is an open lane of feedback um, and we view this entire company as our lane, I think that that only helps propel us forward instead of kind of staying siloed. Um, so it's all about continuous improvement, but um, it, your approach and, and how you do it is probably key. I'm glad. I'm glad. I'm glad that's your approach because if Matt would have stayed in his own lane, we would not be the company that no we are now. Yeah. So I love He's a it. perfect example of it. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Be, being your own disruptor, right? Exactly. Yep. Uh, you, you're a leader, you know, who inspires a lot of people here, you know, whether it's through a, a lunch or a, a conversation or, or an email that you send out. I'm curious, who are the people in your life that have most inspired you? You know, there isn't um, a single person that I've ever had that was, you know, a role model or somebody I followed. I take bits and pieces from everybody around me. So leaders that I've worked closely with um, and from afar, um, I think being an observer, I always pick up things from people um, that are doing things great. And that inspires me and that motivates me. And I kind of take those things and put it in my bank and, and kind of use it in my own way moving forward. But the people around me all the time, um, friends, family, work, everything, um, my surroundings, I guess, being an observer, it's just, just the people and the actions around me that I observe are, are really what inspires me and pushes me every day. So it's the experiences more, I guess, than, yeah. than the people. Yeah, I'm more of an experience person and observer, I think. So those are the things that I really pick up and latch on to. Um, and that more than anything, I think that's what motivates everybody. That's why we talk about a positive environment and culture and um, it being a deal breaker. If you don't have a great environment and culture for people to work in, the inspiration around you uh, makes a huge difference, I think. Man, I'm just sitting here cringing because if the high school coaches that was in the building when she was there, if they hear this interview, they're going to go crazy. You could have had this <laughs> on your team. does like, not mean I had any athletic ability. Hey, it team. don't matter. I, it's not too late. On the bench. Those leadership <laughs> capabilities, it, it don't matter. That's the winning attitude. Oh, man. Maybe you could have coached me. Yeah, exactly. Teach I me got, to shoot. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you, uh, Andrew, you talked about be, you know being in your own head and that being one of your, your biggest personal challenges. As a decision maker, walk me through your thought process. Are you, would you say, more analytical or are you instinctive and just kind of go with your gut and what, what your gut tells you? I think you have to do both. Uh, I think the situation dictates if you're more analytical or instinctual. Um, I am a very instinctual person. Um, my husband tells me that all the time and makes fun of me. Um, but I do follow my instincts on a lot and probably a majority of decisions I make, things that I do, how I react to situations. Um, but you definitely can't leave the analytical side out of it. So I'd say probably more instinctual, um, but definitely you have to know, depending on the decision, depending on the situation, sometimes you have to bring the analytical side in and that's always fun because sometimes it can throw your instincts out the window and 
you know, make you change your mind. Especially when you like to move fast, right? And when Definitely. you want to make a decision, you want to trust your gut, but you also have to say, hey, maybe let me slow down for a minute. Let me think about this just a little bit more before I actually decide. Yes, and I am not a patient person. Patience is also something that I'm working <laughs> I am, on. I am not surprised to hear that. <laughs> so sometimes the analytical side of things... Um, I'll, I'll, you know, want to pull some data and I'm like, but I need it in like 20 minutes because we got to get this moving. Like no patience and instinctual, I can make a quick decision, right? But you can't always follow your instincts completely with everything. So sometimes you got to be a little patient and use some data. Okay. And you're, you're such a great leader. I mean, powerful, strong. I love that about you. I've heard nothing but great things about your husband. All right. So if you guys are going to dinner, who's making, who's making the choice? Who picks who, oh, where, the place? where we go? Who's going, who's picking the place? Uh, or are you going on vacation? Who 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 decides that? So uh, my husband does not like to make decisions, believe oh, it or not. Oh, well, this um, is cool. About when it comes to dinner, um, so <laughs> he wants no. He he doesn't even want to look at the menu if there's too many options. So I'm picking the dinner place. I'm probably ordering for him unless there's something he feels super passionately about. He's all about just. The experience and like you, you do the dirty work. You you pick out the place and you, you look at the menu. But yeah, but here, here's the question though. Speaking of the menu, are are you the type of person that'll go online and look at the menu in advance, or do you want to be surprised when you get there? You know what? I am such a planner at heart. But <laughs> you I, already know what you want I, when you walk no, in the door, right? I have never looked at a menu before I go to the restaurant. Really? I have a little bit of adventure in me, so okay. yeah, I've, like I'm that. I'm not that much of a planner or foodie that I look at the menu too much. I'm more just taken in when I get there. I, I like, like it. That. Yeah, me too. Uh, Got to have some spontaneity with yeah. the planner. <laughs> I, I like to look it up. I want to know what kind of food they Every got. time? Most of the time. Does that drive your wife crazy? She does it too. Okay. Yeah. So it works. She'll, she'll tell me where we're going to dinner, and then she'll say, ooh, look at this, and she'll send me the link for the menu, and I'll check it out, and I'll say, ooh, I think I want that, that, and that. <laughs> Very rarely do we yeah, take a different route unless there's a special or something like that. When you're at dinner, though, let me ask you this, because you, know, you said you're very detail-oriented. Mateen said it, in the weeds of our business, and you constantly want to know what's going on. But when you walk away from the office, you know, can you unplug you know, when you're at dinner with your husband or having coffee with somebody or hanging out with a friend or a family member? Can you unplug and really truly be present in what you're doing at that time? It is a challenge at times. I think um, <laughs> I knew she was going to answer it that way. <laughs> one, an, another thing that I try to focus on a lot is I, I have a hard time shutting my brain off. So even at night, if I can't fall asleep, my husband will be like, shut the brain off. Come on, let's go. I have a hard time shutting things down in my head. So I think during the week especially, it's a little more difficult for me to be present um, when I'm not here and being on and thinking all the time and email myself thoughts or put a reminder in my calendar, something that I think of. The weekends, it's a little easier um, and I can fully immerse myself in something else, but you you never turn off, I don't think. I, 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 I've I never been able to fully turn Not off. Not the great ones. Not the great ones. It's tough, right? I mean, especially with cell phones and technology. I mean, you have everything at your fingertips. It's all right there in the palm of your hand. It is tough to walk away from it. Yeah, and you're constantly, for me anyway... I'm like, if I don't check in, just glance at my email on a Saturday, like, what am I missing? What's going on? Like, maybe somebody needs something. Right. Maybe something's happening, right? And and you feel that responsibility, I think, to make sure that you're in tune and that you're on top of things if something were to happen. So um, I think we can definitely do do a better job trying to find balance there. But I don't know that, especially in this day and age and the direction we're heading, I feel like it's kind of <laughs> only going to get worse. I, no, don't, I don't think we're backing off. I, I have started to try something new lately when I walk in the door after I get home. And I see the kids, I, I put my phone away for at least a little while. You know what I mean? I want to see them and hang out with them, have dinner, and just 
observe them and not be distracted by my phone. And it's a challenge for me. You know, I, I want to be connected like you. I want to know what's going on. It's, it's tough to resist checking social media or seeing what's going on with email. But I've been trying to do it lately. <laughs> I think that's smart, and I think it's healthy, especially because you have young kids. Yeah, they're they're observant. They're more observant exactly. than anybody. Mm-hmm. So you better believe that they're noticing and recognizing Dad's on his phone all the time when he comes home, and I don't see him. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I think that that's fantastic that you do that. I think Matt said that he does that too. Mm-hmm. He has like certain hours a night when he goes home, and he's like, "Hey, I'm with my kids until they go to bed." Like phones away. I think that's very healthy to do, especially when you have young kids. What about you, Mateen? Well, you know, myself, me and my son, we have a really good relationship. Well, I have one that's 21, so he's, you know, he don't need my attention as much. But my youngest son, we, we like the same thing. So, we, so you know, it's basketball. basketball. So a lot of times we're just in the gym hanging around. You know, when I leave from here, we'll go get a little workout in. And um, so that's our bonding time. Now, on the flip side of that, I have to find time for my wife, you know, because she's oh, the yeah. one that's kind of like, you know, sacrificing. And so that's where I got to get better at is finding more time to give her her time. Um, so I'm working on that and I'm getting better do you, as we go. Do you guys find, since you both have kids and a wife, do you find that you're more likely to put the phone away for the kids but not the wife? That's a great question. Like, do you feel the priority and, you know, the urgency behind that behavior is more for your kids? And do you think that the spouse is like, oh, they'll understand? You know what I mean? Because yes. I've never heard anybody say, I put the phone away when I get home for my, to spend time with my husband or wife. It's, always, it's usually for the kids. Right. Yeah. No, I, I think it's true. Um, and, you know, because it's just easy sometimes at the end of the day to pick up your phone and kind of just lose yourself into whether it's social media or reading an article or watching a video. Um, yeah, I think it, it's definitely true that you, you do it more so for, for your kids than for your, for your spouse. And that's something else that I now need to work on. So thank you, Andrea. <laughs> right, exactly. If I, why, if Shannon, that's my wife's name. If you're listening, I'm sorry. <laughs> Look at Andrea asking a tough question. She needs to come on this she's, side. Yeah, she's flipping the script on us. <laughs> it's just an interesting thought. But no, I, yeah. I've, I've actually brought it up to my wife before. I've said to her, what if we just went a whole weekend without our phones? I mean, seriously, unless, of course, there's an emergency, someone needs to get in touch with you. What do you really need it for if you're not working? Do you think you could do it? Like for a, just a weekend away? I don't know. Have you I, ever done it? I No, but I think I could. I think I could do it for a weekend. Any longer than that, I might start yeah, to get a little That'd be crazy. a challenge for me. Yeah, because it's, it's, it's a lot going on. Yeah, that would be a challenge. I peek at it. My wife, she would call me out on it sometimes. Yeah. If we're out, she's like, can you just put the phone down? And so she would call me out. And now on the flip side, my son is nine. So he's in that era where he wants to be on his phone. Oh, yeah. On, and so you I can had, sit next to him all day and you yeah, two would just be going I, to tell no, him. No, I, I snatch it. I take his phone. Oh, yeah? Okay. Oh, yeah. No, That's I, good. Break yeah, the behavior will, early. Yes, early. I like it. Uh, Andrea, one of your uh, direct reports who shall remain anonymous, um, I asked them, and I'm not going to reveal male or female because I don't want to give it away, but uh, they said that you are very consistent. That's what they really admire about you, that you are even keeled, never too high, never too low. As a leader, why is that important to you? I think your team, um, It's it, first of all, it's interesting that they say that because inside, Does I that feel surprise the, you? Yeah, I, I Partially. Um, I think I do. I inside in my own head and my own emotions, my own heart, I'm very up and down and mm-hmm. I am a very emotional and instinctual person. So inside I might be feeling very differently, but I think it's important as a leader that your team doesn't sense your super lows. For sure, they can sense your super highs because mm-hmm. that's fantastic and celebrate all of those fantastic things. But I think 
you being a constant force of reliability and support and thinking clearly and not getting too rattled, um, even if you might feel that inside, is so important for your team. You have to learn to control that and overcome that outwardly. Hmm. Yeah, I like that because they're always watching. For if sure, if you get unrattled, then they're they'll be all Absolutely. they'll be all screwed up. And uh, you know, the thing about you, with someone calling you consistent, I think that's a, that's one of the best compliments you can give someone. To me, the difference between good and great is consistency. Yeah. You know, knowing and, and you can depend on people knowing that they're going to be consistent at what they do, night in and night out. Showing up every day the same yeah. way. Yeah. yeah. What? And, um. Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say your your team follows your lead. That's so right. whatever yes. it is that they're feeling or that's going on around you, a process change, technology change, whatever it may be, something yeah. personal, they're going to feed off your energy. So you being kind of even keeled and calm and guys, this is no big deal. We got right. this. They're going to be put at ease, even if inside you're like, oh, what are we going to do? You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. But they they're going to feed off your energy right. for sure. You, um, you obviously have high expectations for yourself. For you, what? makes a great day. When you get home at the end of a day, you can say to yourself, that was a really good day I had today. It's interesting. There are no two days that are the same. Um, and one thing I learned very early on is your day will control you if you don't control it. Mm. Um, and it happened oh. to me um, very early on. I would you know, have a calendar printed out and I knew what my day was going to look like. And it ends up with scratches and notes all over it and half of it didn't get done half the meetings I didn't go to the day happens um and I think accepting that every day is going to bring you new challenges that you aren't expecting that are not in your calendar or on your to-do list and being able to handle that um with stride and with a positive attitude and and prioritizing it the right way your to-do list is never going to end you're always going to go home with your to-do list that, you know, you took five things off and added 10, whatever it may be. But I think knowing that that day you gave it your all and you did the best job you could and you took care of your people and you took care of the most important things that were critical for that day, lets you go home saying I had a great day, even if you didn't quite accomplish what you set out to at the beginning of the day. And, and let me ask you this question here about experience, <clears throat> because I think experience is, is valuable, very valuable. And I talk to like loan officers and brokers when they come in and I, I, one of the questions I ask them is, what are the challenges that come with your job? And they tell me different things. And, and my response is, well, why do you guys keep letting it affect you so much? If you know there are challenges that come with the job. And I think what helps with that is just experiences. So you being here and having the experience that you have, do you lean on your experience? Do you handle things different than you maybe would have handled it two years ago? Do you, so is that something that you lean on as your experience? Absolutely. I think experience is huge. And with experience, I think comes perspective. Mm -hmm. So a couple of years ago, I probably would have gone home rattled and beating myself up or feeling like, oh, this happened again. Well, you learn to accept, yeah, this is this is part of the gig. This is part of what is going to happen when you're a leader. This is part of what's going to happen in whatever industry you're in. And I think the the sooner that you learn to accept that, and, well, okay, this is what it is. I'm not changing that reality, but I'm going to change how I respond to it, and I'm going to change how I approach it. Um, but I think that comes with perspective, but that comes from the experience. So I think early on you can tell people that all day long, but until they start to live in it for a while and realize themselves, I'm not changing this reality, so I either need to change my mindset or I need to make a change. Until you reach that point, um, I, I think you'll still live in that frustration. So I think that it truly does come with experience. I think you're right about that. Gotcha. So much food for thought. 
So much great perspective, so many great insights. Uh, Andrea, this has been a great conversation. I hope you were taking notes, Mateen. I, oh, I know you were. Got a paper full of them uh, over here. He, want, he wants to recruit you uh, for, to play for his, his basketball He's team. He's going to coach me up. He's got a lot of work to do. <laughs> Andrea, uh, we, we appreciate the time. This has been awesome stuff. Thanks so much for joining us on the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. I loved she, it. She's the real deal, man. The real deal indeed. Our thanks to Andrea Hall, who shared a ton of great wisdom and was so forthcoming about her own strengths and weaknesses. I hope you're as pumped up after listening to her as we were. Our next guest on Power Forward will be Laura Lawson, Chief People Officer. You'll find out how Laura went from working in the TV business to a mortgage company, and also find out the secrets to creating a workplace full of happy people. And just a reminder, subscribe to Power Forward on your preferred podcast platform. I'm Justin White. We'll see you next time on Power Forward.